Hello and welcome to the Galway Film Flaz podcast. It is day three and I'm your host Gary Kelly of gkmedia.ie and joined as always for the week by Lisa Tracy. Good morning. And Dave Cohen. Hello out there cinemaphiles. Now before we get into the lineup of what is on today, we were telling you in yesterday's podcast about the huge excitement regarding past lives and love without walls which were premiered at the FLA last night. Let's find out firstly what people thought of Past Lives, which has a little bit of Oscar buzz. The movie is really compelling. It's really beautiful. It's really slow and kind of patient. And every character is beautifully drawn. The cinematography is fantastic. It's like she kept the film rolling and she didn't need to say stop. You know, she let it go to get those extra details. New York looks amazing in it. The acting is superb, really, and I had a little tear at the end. So I found it really, really good, really compelling, beautiful. Yeah, it was absolutely beautiful. I mean, I heard about it recently. There was a lot of hype coming out of Sundance, and uh, it was just magnificent. Really, really subtle love story. There's no big declarations. There's no big fallings out. And uh, it was just bittersweet. It was heartbreaking, but it was heartwarming. It was, it was beautiful, fantastic. It was very thoughtful. It was a thoughtful film about childhood friends, one suddenly moves out of the country and they reunite 24 years later in New York. One's married to another person and there is all of this um, tension and love between the two of them. But it was a really kind of an interesting uh, story about masculinity, you know, because there is she's married to somebody else and her childhood sweetheart shows up and they actually have to, like, all deal with each other in a very profound way. And... Um, uh, I loved it. I thought it was really great. Is it a film you could relate to? Yes, because everybody says goodbye to people from childhood. I had a childhood friend named Jimmy Sullivan. So, Jimmy, if you're out there, look me up. Who, uh, when we were in eighth grade, he left. Suddenly, his family just moved out of town on Long Island in New York. And I never saw him again. And we were like best friends. I never saw him or heard from him again. And, and it was too abrupt. Um, I think people can relate to this event in many different ways. I just loved it. Um, I didn't know anything about it going in. I knew it was a bit of a love story and I just loved everything about it. The aesthetic, the actors, the music. I loved that it was a female director um, and I knew I knew some of the actors to see but they just blew me away with their chemistry and yeah, I'd highly recommend it. It was just beautiful. There was a few tears shed at the end and it was just completely different to anything else you would see in the cinema right now. Celine, thank you so much for joining us. Talk to those who haven't seen Past Lives yet and have heard so much about it. What it's all about. Why is it grabbing people? Um, it's a story about uh, two childhood sweethearts who reconnect many years later in New York City. Um, and it's, it's a story about time and space and how love can endure through all of that. And I really hope you see it in the theatres September 8th in Ireland. Have you heard about all the Oscar buzz already around this movie? And it's only July? You know, I think that the, the, this is an independent film and it actually needs a lot of, you know, word of mouth and for people to be excited about and people have reason to watch the movie. So I think that it's any kind of a, a positive a conversation about the movie is just wonderful. Debut feature film. Yes. Tell me about that process. Oh, you know, I feel like, you know, you just, you know, you, it's your first film, you know, <laughs> you're just, you're just making it and you're doing your best and then you, uh, you hope that the world is there to uh, receive it and want to watch it. But you worked as a writer previously, so it's a huge transition into directing a feature 
and then getting such a strong reaction? Well, I think that, uh, you know what, I was in theater for a really long time. And I think that whatever I learned from, whatever I know from theater and working in theater, which is uh, you know, story and character, those are things that are actually pretty transferable to filmmaking. Finally, is this your first time in Galway and what have you made of the film fly? Oh, it is so amazing. I'm so happy to be here at the film fly. And it's such a beautiful city and I'm just excited and to share my movie with the city. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. And also let's find out what people thought of Jane Gold's new movie, Love Without Walls, which received its Irish premiere at the Galway Film Flat last night. I've just come out from Love Without Walls and I thought it was a stunning film. Absolutely loved the music and it was so deep, the, the actual film itself, you know. When it started off first, I thought perhaps, you know, a little flippant movie about somebody who sings their own songs but it had such depth it was such an interesting film i really enjoyed it i was really stunned by it as well it was, it was very it was a hard going film but i enjoyed it very much it was really it was really brilliant and the music was terrific brilliant movie very deep but very real i enjoyed it very good film i thought it was wonderful um because it's a really topical issue. There are so many people homeless. In the last few days, our Taoiseach has victim blamed. He's blamed people who are homeless. He's done exactly what the Tories do. And this is set in the UK. And Niall, uh, it, it showed how anybody can become homeless and um, how love conquers all at the end of this. I thought it was wonderfully acted. I closed my eyes through most through some of it because I couldn't bear to think of the abuse that people get. Um, and homelessness is such a big issue, you know, across everywhere, um, I think. And, and Niall is so talented. And what I'd said earlier was that many people don't know. I've followed Niall for some time uh, because he does a lot of work, as does Imelda, with the London Irish and they are the Irish people, many of them who immigrated in the 50s and again um, came Ireland was in, in a, a terrible state and they couldn't find work here. And many found themselves in London and in Birmingham and Manchester unable to, to get through. And so at the end of their days now, when they have very little from Ireland, we have Irish people over there with the Irish accent, as they say to me, and it's so important. And Niall and Imelda do incredible work. So that's another part to, I suppose, the story of our immigrant population and how homelessness again can impact. So, yeah. Delighted to be joined by the actor of Love Without Walls, Niall. Thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on the premiere tonight at the Goy Film Flower. What's that reaction, that buzz like now after? It's, it's pretty remarkable. It's a remarkable feeling because uh, I, f I felt that the audience really, really took to the movie. They, they laughed in all the right parts and they seemed to cry at all the right parts as well. And uh, yeah, I, I'm, quite, I'm quite moved to have it here um, in Ireland for the first time. You know, I'm, I'm proud of that. What grabbed you about the script when you first read it? That, that, that she said she wanted me to be the lead. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Um, what grabbed me about it? Well, it's, it's it's very it's very moving. It's got a lot of love in it, and I could feel it. I mean, Jane writes brilliant scripts, but there's there's lots of brilliant scripts that miss that kind of heart. I could feel it came from a personal place, and um, 
you know the chance to play my own songs and and everything like there were so many wonderful scenes and opportunities to, to be able to explore that I uh, I jumped at it I won't lie to you I jumped to it yeah and your character goes through so many different hurdles and stages and emotions so even breaking that down in terms of a performance you know how, how did you map that out because i'm sure you didn't shoot chronologically either no well we, we 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 actually filmed the final scenes first but then after that it was basically chronological which which was nice to do it but i did say to jane at the start i was you know not not trying to be too proud about it i said jane i i'm, I'm going to really need, i don't mind you telling me where we are because so much happens and it could happen in any order at some points that I needed. To, we needed to nearly before every day we go right. Here's where we left off, and here's where we're going in that. And because it was important to stay on top of that, because it is you know real, really gradual, you know. So yeah, it's difficult, but we got there. And in terms of preparing for the role, then what sort of work did you do? The prep was quite hard. I mean, I've been locked down for a while by then, and um, we decided that we wanted him to look really, really. Like he got to a bad place. He, we decided in this place he wouldn't really be fed properly. Um, he wouldn't be looked after at all. He wouldn't be cutting his hair or anything like that. So it, the three months leading up to it were kind of miserable, really. They were, you know, no shaving, no haircut. Um, I wasn't any. I didn't have any sugar or carbs for two months leading. No booze or anything like that. The two days leading up to it, two days. Uh, we started filming on a Monday, Saturday and Sunday, no food. Sunday, no water. So uh, it kind of, you know, we, but we wanted to get to that place. The reason we had no water wasn't to lose so much weight, but just because we had to go back to the start at some point. And if you lose water and put it back on, you kind of. So it was hard, but I, I you know, I had, no, I had really nothing else to be concentrating on. So I kind of put me all into it. And um, yeah, it was, it was worth it, I think. But were you fairly miserable to live with during that period? I think I was actually. Yeah. I got probably got a bit manic, you know, but but you know, I, I think people around me understood, and uh, I sure I wasn't too miserable. I was excited. That was the thing. I, the the day couldn't come soon enough, and you have to remember as well, the, the film got put back once or twice because of COVID. So, you know, I'd grown that beard a couple of times and try, started this diet that you can only really do if one day you're going to stop it, you know. So yeah, it was kind of hard. And did you still manage to write music, or were you totally consumed during the production of the movie? Uh, yeah, I did actually. There's a couple of songs uh, on the EP that I wrote during the filming of it because I was so encompassed in, in it that it felt like the only thing I could write a song about unless I was going to write a song about being an actor in a movie, which is would be odd. But uh, yeah, I, I did write a few songs uh, and uh, I, I, some of them I already had years ago and, and there was a, a new one called The Knowledge that I wrote specifically for it. But tried to. I didn't have a lot of time, but those intense periods are quite good for writing songs, I find, anyway, you know. Congratulations on the movie again and thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thanks so much. Imelda May, delighted to be joined by yourself after seeing a fantastic movie yeah. that the hubby was up on screen we performing. <laughs> well, what's that like? Um, I'm delighted to support him as he supports me, but I believe in the film. It's a great film. It's really well written and directed and the script is great and the acting is fantastic, but it's a really strong story of trials and homelessness but of love and hope there's a light of hope all the way through which I love but it, but it hits home and it's one of those films that stays with you so that's when I saw it first it stayed with me and that's why I, I, I'm, I'm really 
I really believe in it because it's made me uh, rethink things, you know. Obviously, you know, everybody, you try and do your best with giving and helping out with homelessness. But this this movie really stays with you, I think, of, of how close we all are to it. And there's not a them and an us. It's all an us, you know. Niall was talking to me as well about the preparation he was doing in terms of losing weight and dehydrating and cutting out sugar and carbs yes. and all those crazy things yeah. and preparing for the role. What was it like for you, you know, seeing someone put themselves under such kind of physical and mental pressure yeah. to get in place for that role? Oh, it was intense. He, he was intense to be around, for sure. Um, he was in a very strong mindset he was focused and and hungry <laughs> and I'm a feeder I cook and it was driving him mad because I was cooking gorgeous meals for me and my daughter <laughs> maybe that didn't help him at all <laughs> no but it was lovely to see him so so folks but it definitely was intense to be around for sure and in but I understood it you know I'm not meaning that in any negative way there was there was just an intensity in his eyes that I could see he was really focused and needed to do this and wanted to do this and that's admirable, you know, because it took a lot of, a, a lot from him. I mean, on the last few days he didn't even drink water. Finally, you've done a bit of acting yourself. So after seeing Niall on the big screen and being at a film festival and the atmosphere and the buzz and the energy, which again, as an artist on stage as well, I'm sure you feed off. Coming out tonight, do you have a bit of a hunger again to get back on the silver screen yourself yeah I, I've definitely been bitten by the bug um, since doing Fisherman's Friends and uh, I've just a little while ago filmed um, Four Letters of Love which will be out next year so I believe and I'm currently in rehearsals to do a play called Mother of All the Beans with Peter Sheridan so I'm doing a one woman play in the Olympia in August and uh, I'm in intense rehearsals. I've just actually flew in from London to Dublin to do a morning of rehearsing and then jumped on a train to get here and then I'll fly out in the morning. I'm chest deep in rehearsals at the moment and I'm really loving it. It's a challenge, it's tough and uh, I think it's good to push yourself in ways and I'm mad about, it's about Kathleen being, Brendan being his mother. And I'm really um, passionate about telling her story because it's a wonderful story. And it's a story of a lot of women in Ireland at that time. It's, it's, it's historical as well as um, witty and funny. And she's a great woman. I'm a huge admirer of her. So I'm really looking forward to people hearing her story. It needs to be told. So that's where I am. I, I'm, I'm at the point where I'm wanting to do her justice and her story justice. So that's where the, the pressure is on to do that and do it properly Imelda continued success thank you. best of luck with the movie thank with the play thank you for all you do and thanks for, for coming here and interviewing people and pushing artistry and creativity I mean the Galway Film Festival is phenomenal and independent movies need to be supported it's people who are doing it for the love of it and they're doing it with every fibre of their being it's not like going seeing a big blockbuster. There's way more love in these and, and fantastic stories and people working really hard for the right reasons. So thank you to you for coming and covering it. So Lisa, before we look ahead to what is on today, you actually got to see Who Would Jesus Bomb, which you were telling us about yesterday. 
How was that screening? It was really good, really well turned out screening. Uh, it was almost a packed house, uh, which is great for the middle of the day on a Wednesday. A very well made documentary. You know, it's just classic style of a documentary, but there was a lot of animation in it as well. And there was good music in it. And it is a good story. Uh, a true story, obviously, about um, activists who try to uh, investigate what was going on and still is possibly going on in Shannon with the American planes landing there. And Emmett Sheeran, who directed it, he funded it himself as All well. himself, yeah. He has no funding, but hopefully he will get some sort of a platform for the movie and hopefully he might get shown on our national broadcaster. That's their hope. And was he there himself? He was, and discussion? there was a Q&A afterwards. It was very lively Q&A. Some people uh, use the platform to showcase their own things that they're passionate about, which was interesting. In in terms of what was going on at Shannon Airport? In, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's there's different p- places, like um, there's different people, like a group called Shannon Watch, who are constantly watching what's happening. And uh, and then there's a Catholic Workers Association. And there's uh, Margareta Darcy was there. And okay. It was a, a lot of people were, um, you know, in, very enthused about the film, and I thought it, it, it was well deserved. That's what I love about the film as well. I just kind of roils people up, you know, and it gets those discussions open. Yeah, I mean, in the description here, I didn't get a chance to see this film, but it says it sparks a debate, and I love things that spark a debate because, you know, some debates have to happen and some don't, but you know, debates around this have to happen, and obviously, with what's going on in the world right now. These debates, we have to have conversations about this. And these people do a lot of work. They're getting up in the morning, make, watching, keeping track of what planes are coming in and what planes are going on. You know, just doing the due diligence of what's happening for, you know, the average people in the street like us who don't know. And then it helps us to have a bit more information and spark a debate. And then there's a dialogue and a discussion happens. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important this kind of work. I should have asked you actually yesterday as well, Dave, what did you make? of the opening movie on Tuesday night, The Miracle Club, because everyone is still raving about it. Yeah, God, Tuesday night seems like a long time ago at this stage, uh, on a Thursday morning at the flat, but it it it, it was a really powerful film. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I mean, four leading ladies, everybody from Agnes O'Casey, Laura Linney, Kathy Bates, and uh, Maggie Smith, Dame Maggie Smith, like the four of them, intergenerational women, to come together in a wonderful emotional crescendo of grief and uh, forgiveness and history and everything these wonderful characters brought to this really powerful scene where the four of them are sitting in a bedroom and they're they kind of bond around a shared experience and it's actually very very powerful and uh in the auditorium at the end those two ladies sitting behind me and one of them says oh i i i I," you know i was in tears at the end of that and i was in tears myself just because the emotional power of this film. And I felt like turning around to these strangers going, yeah, I'm a man and I cried as well. Like, there's no shame in that, but that's how powerful this film is. And and on the flip side of that, there's lovely, funny moments. It's 1950s Ireland, you know, Irish men, even today we, we struggle with our emotions, but back in 1950s Ireland, Irish men didn't know what they were doing. And this film just shines a light on that in the most loving, funny, kind way. And it just shows that women do all the work around the world in a, in a lovely, wonderful way. And I really, really enjoyed the film. And I cannot recommend it enough. I think it's getting a release in Ireland in September, Lionsgate are releasing it Brilliant. at the end of September. So I, I recommend it. Go see it. Excellent. So that's the Merkel Club, which screened on Tuesday night. OK, we got a lot of great screens to look ahead to today. But firstly, earlier on this morning, I caught up with Eve O'Brien Collins to talk about this morning's and this afternoon's selection 
of short films and documentaries. Eva O'Brien Collins, Director of Shorts Programming, thanks for joining me again this morning. I know you're smiling, but I did meet your hubby outside yesterday, and I realized I was just working off the maiden name. That's okay, too. That's okay, too. He, he's taken my name, so I have to take his. So, you know, a, a, a bit of equal uh, nameage there, if that's the term. I love it, actually. I think it's really cool how you both took each other's names yeah, it was kind of it was something actually that he brought up because I love Collins and it's very important to me and it's very important to like my identity. But I also love him and love his family. So then but I, there's always a bit of a feminist in you who's like, I'm not taking, I'm not going to take your name. So he was like, I'll take yours and you'll take mine. And we, we became the OBCs. So uh, it works quite well. <laughs> and the hubby we're talking about is Gar O'Brien Collins, who of course is a former programmer of the film FLA and I did Manny an interview with them down through the years during the week of the flat and felt very, very sorry for him because that was a man working about 18 hours a day. Yes, yes. And that's actually where we met. So we met um, at the flat. So it's a nice, uh, it's a nice round circle that we're still here working together. Dave and Lisa and myself are going to shortly be talking about Kings, but just while we're on connections uh, and so on. Years ago, I got to meet your dad for the first time when he premiered Kings here at the Galway Film Fla, and I just felt that we clicked, you know, uh, we, like, we did the typical thing, which was, you know, trending at the time, going back 20 years ago or so, becoming friends on Facebook, but we kept in touch a lot, and I remember he was doing interviews on Galway Bay FM, and we were just kind of keeping in touch with the journey of the film and what he was doing next, I suppose just because I was doing press at the flat, I was getting to meet him on and off and he was a lovely lovely man and sadly it's nearly a year now since your dad passed away but you're doing a lovely thing this evening at the flat by screening kings again yeah so he passed away um coming up monday will be will be his one year anniversary so whereas actually at the flat last year we got a call to say if you want to if you want to say goodbye to come to uh to come over to to the uk to to say that and to to be able to say goodbye to him was fantastic um and it, it's kind of so much of my life as we talked about metgar here so much of my life revolves around the flat um and he in 2007 kings was made and produced i can't remember now which year if it was 2007 or 2008 he rang up the volunteer coordinator at the time and said my daughter wants to come volunteer for you um I didn't quite want to but he wanted me out of the house and that's that's where my entire programming journey started you know back then so uh, I have a lot to owe to him and I've kind of since his death tried to continue his film legacy as much as possible so it's been really nice um to be able to to screen the film and have a little moment to honor him so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it it's, it's difficult but it's so lovely um throughout the week people have you know been like see on thursday and without saying it but saying it so it's really nice it's really special it's it's um i'll probably be an absolute mess at that point but that's i think that's okay too he'd like that <laughs> absolutely uh, what was it like growing up with a dad as a filmmaker very unglamorous um i never really i think it gave me a lovely jaded view of the film industry and i saw how hard he worked and how it was not glamorous and is not glamorous and how he earned every cent he made and how hard he worked and some stuff worked better than others and there was big highs and there was big lows and i think that's one of the reasons why i got into programming and to be able to support filmmakers and now i work with a talent development agency called the national talent academy with screen ireland and that's all about supporting filmmakers so it kind of 
without him knowing, he kind of swayed my view on that. I never really wanted to make films, but knew I wanted to be involved in films. And even shorts back in the day, you know, he still did shorts when he did features. And that's a big, that's a big part of um, what I like to see as well when filmmakers go off to do features, but then they come back to shorts or they come from shorts and they, you know, they've gone to features. Um, so yeah, it was, he worked very hard. Like literally to the day he died, he was still griping about some funding. I remember him like, we, uh, yeah, we we're having conversations maybe uh, a few days before the flan. He was like, would you believe those wouldn't give me funding? And I was like, dad, like, and we all knew we were, you know, we were, we were on borrowed time at that point because he'd been sick for years and he was still effing and blind and then someone didn't give him funding. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's, it's really paved my way. Um, but also it's, it's kind of interesting. Because I spent so long not wanting to be, and I don't know if this is like a, f- a female thing, but not wanting to be my dad's daughter in this industry. I would be like, I wanted everyone to see that I'd earned my way and, you know, I've come from volunteering and I didn't study, but I, I came up a different route, came up volunteering, came up interning, came, you know, do working in restaurants and then also you know, um, programming or volunteering or taking tickets, all that kind of stuff. So for a long time, I kind of hid that he was my dad. I didn't tell people or didn't do that. And when he died, um, he kind of, he, he asked, we got a lot closer t- towards the end, but he asked me to like, let people know when he had passed. And I kind of hadn't realized he was kind of handing over his little film, you know, agency and his little film network to me to be like now now it's yours now go for it you know that kind of way so and I was really surprised around people who didn't know I was his daughter and was like you know I loved your dad and I never knew that um which is which is good and bad I look back that maybe I should have cherished him more but I think it's uh it, it got us to where we are so it's yeah it worked I think yeah as I said he was an absolutely lovely man and he was cherished by so many and I only captured about four years ago that um, you were father and daughter. And I think because you were so different as well. You know, there was definitely, I knew you when you were a teenager and the wild rebel was definitely there burning. Yeah, definitely. We had the same haircut. Of uh, His was grey and mine was bleached. But we did have the same haircut for quite some time and people still didn't. And we're both equally hungover and people still didn't cop it. Um, but yeah, it is funny, but it's kind of been nice that those people kind of um or have been able to say to me now god I knew your dad when we did this and we did that and it's so lovely and and like my siblings don't have that side of my dad and I'm very lucky you know very very lucky to have it um and it has been like it's anybody who's lost a parent will know it's quite difficult you know how you remember them and how you bring them forward in your life they're always with you but I think being able to have his films and particularly Kings is one people go back to and even now I go back and I'm like god my dad was way more sensitive than I realized you know like it's a really really sensitive story um and I think at the time I was just like yeah that whatever um and now it's just like god you know he was really making you look back to Hush My Baby and things like that you know he really was telling underrepresented stories even you know back then so yeah 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 thanks for sharing and i'm sure he's very proud of you and that screening takes place this evening at quarter past five and there's possibly a couple of tickets left for it so i'd advise you get them asap and enjoy the warm reception that you receive later on eve looking ahead to the shorts i mean they actually got underway earlier today uh, as they are for the rest of the week kicking off at 10 o'clock so Short documentaries already underway here at the Town Hall Theatre, but getting underway at 12 o'clock, then we have a selection of shorts. So yesterday was just way out west, so it was kind of the west of Ireland only as such, whereas now it's kind of, it's open up to everyone. 
Yeah, yesterday I mentioned before that we were brought back the way out west and I wasn't sure how how busy it was going to be or how the reception was going to be. It's always hard to know, you know, will local people turn out, you know, for local films or do they want the big international Hollywood films? But it was sold out, jam-packed. So that was really, really great to see, great to start off. And somebody said in passing, sure, if we don't come to this, you won't do it again. And I was like, yes, exactly, which is a great, I won't, I won't say who that was, but I was like, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, so hopefully we'll have the quality again to do that program again next year but yeah next up uh, at 12 we have um new shorts three all irish fiction very mixed bag of uh, emotions and journeys and stories but yeah quite a bit from uh, northern ireland and and the republic of ireland so there's a nice there's a nice mix in there uh, we even need to get out to the islands i can't remember which island it is now but there is a there's a few uh very um journeys in it so yeah there's something for everybody in the program and in the shorts that are on today as well, there's a few who are actually up for the Bingham Ray New Talent Awards, isn't there? Yeah, so we've actually been quite lucky this year that we have five um, short film related talents up for the Bingham Ray. So kind of spread across documentary, animation and fiction. Uh, and yeah, so License for Nil is um, Shannon Welby short. So Shannon's up for um, for the Bingham Ray. And then tomorrow we have a few more. We've got producers, writers, um, directors uh, across, across the board. But it is nice to have short filmmakers recognised in that. It used to kind of just be feature filmmakers. And I find if you make enough stinky, get your way so after a while we were able to introduce some um, short filmmakers so yeah it's really nice there's a nice mix there there's a nice mix of talents and um, people at new different stages of their career so there's it's a new talent award but we know in this industry you can be working 10 years and you can just about be a new talent or you can be fresh off the blocks so there's a nice there's a nice mix in there but License for Nil um, Shannon's film is really good and really funny and really really witty and I I genuinely can't see can't um, wait to see what she makes next um, she was part of the spotlight scheme with Screen Ireland last year and I was able to hear a little bit about one of her scripts set in Donegal and it was just absolutely fantastic so big things uh, big things ahead for Shannon for sure and then we're over at the palace this afternoon then for world shorts two documentaries yeah, I'm a, I absolutely love this program. So it's a mix of animation and live action, which is difficult to do. But um, the animation standard was so high that we just had to kind of cram some in there. Uh, so yeah, it's a really joyous program. Um, it covers some heavy topics and particularly uh, important female points of view from underrepresented countries in the rest of the program. But it it's really it's really special. It will leave you a little bit sad, but it is really really worth two hours nearly of your time. Um, so yeah, that's in the plus at two o'clock. I think there's a few tickets left for that as well. So I would recommend getting out uh, getting out for that. Yeah, I've had a few of those moments at the fall already where you just feel, <laughs> you just have this kind of lull at the end in the sense of what you've gone through and what what's going on in the world and everything like that. But at the same time, in my opinion anyways, you don't really get that experience anymore in mainstream cinema very well said like you do have to and as a programmer you have to decide when you have to pull back and when you have to really particularly for shorts when you have to just open the doors to those narratives and those points of view and it can be tough and it can be difficult but if I think if it's curated right you have a nice mix of um, learning something but also not being saturated or made <laughs> leaving feeling like you're a terrible person and why didn't I know these things or what should I be doing differently or so th there's a good balance there between that but yeah I think if, I think we've talked about this before this the subject matter and I think once you're doing that subject matter and um, be it um, like a 
tale we've heard a million times or brand new point of view once you're doing it justice i think um i think it's uh, it makes for a great short well eve thanks so much for joining us on the podcast again this morning and best of luck with uh, what i'm sure it'll be a very busy if not a bit of a roller coaster of a day but enjoy it it'll be an amazing day thank you very much Okay, let's start off with what is happening this afternoon here in the Town Hall Theatre. Two o'clock, Andrew Thomas's The Fires gets its world premiere at the Galway Film Fla. Dave and Lisa, you were lucky enough to actually catch this movie in advance. What's it about? It's about a young guy who returns to his family home in rural Donegal after being kicked out of Canada. Well, he was illegally uh, in Canada and they finally caught up with him. So he's sent home and he's, he seems to be the only one left and uh, he's, he's on his own and he finds a tape recorder and he starts kind of talking like to the tape recorder as if it's a person from his past. Uh, we don't know whether that person exists or whether he is ever going to find that person and tell them all the things he's telling to the recorder. But uh, he's he's just living his life and he's doing a lot of exercise and then he meets a girl and he he's, you know, he's, he's just, he's going through, he's going through a kind of a, a catharsis in the house on his own for most of it. And uh, it's, it's an interestingly uh, formed movie. It's not, it's not shot in typical style. And uh, the acting is very good. Oshin Porter is in it, and who I know from uh, Galway, and uh, he's he's quite good. And uh, all the supporting cast are equally there; they have merit also. It's, yeah, uh, because when you saw this, you came in saying to me afterwards, like the cast are so good in this. Yeah, well, I think like I mean, it's mostly him in the movie, um, and it's you know, there's there's a lot of trauma in the movie like it's 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 um it's like being in some sort of a therapy session with him the entire time um but you know it's 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 definitely it's definitely got something um and it's yeah. black and white it's black and white uh it's shot in a in a style uh, you don't get up too close and in close and personal with the actors so they have to do a bit more a bit more acting if mm. you will so that you can see them so it's it's a very it's a very interesting style I don't know if it'll catch on, but uh, it's it's definitely got something. Brilliant, Dave. Yeah, I mean, I think I'd love to, you know, have a chat with Andrew Thomas if I get a chance to ask him about, you know, why were the choices made around shooting in a four or three aspect ratio? For those of you who don't know, like old school TVs were four units across the top and three units down. And now most TVs are 16 units across and nine units down. So like a widescreen. So this was shot in the old school four three ratio and also in black and white and obviously in the digital age uh you kind of say why what is the reason for that so i'm assuming there's some you know allegoric there's a you know trying to reflect the emotions he's going through uh, he's trawling through his past and things are historical and whatnot but personally i often find anachronistic things where if something is in black and white if i'm looking at somebody under the covers and their iPhone alarm goes off, and we see them switch off their alarm on their iPhone, and I'm watching this in black and white, in 4-3 aspect ratio, the anachronisms of, you know, the time, the out-of-timedness of it, it's like watching a, you know, an old black and white movie, and there's a spaceship in it. It just doesn't match up with time. So that often kind of jars with me, so I'd love to ask him what was the reason behind that. But in terms of the movie, the, the, a lot of the, the, the shot selection was very... Uh, theatrical as opposed to cinematic which again i assume was a, a deliberate um um choice um like i think there's a scene where 
the two lead actors uh, were before you know any romantic stuff happens. They were they were having dinner, and this there's one shot, static shot for like ten minutes. The camera doesn't move, and the actors doing it. So, which is very you know proscenium arch on stage theatrical. Um, so, I'd just love to I'd love to know more about that if I ever got a chance to chat with the director. But um, um, interesting film, you know, very very um, kind of formulaic story of someone coming back from being away, loss, coming to terms, analysis, uh, growth, pain. All of these things are in there. So, um, uh, interesting film. Yeah, I wonder would it stay with you as long though if it was sixty nine color close ups, mid shots, stabbing shots over the shot. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, possibly. I mean, it, it, it's almost like it's a memory. Mm. This film is almost like a, a hazy, fuzzy memory. It does some of the visuals of this are very powerful and they stay with you. But as I said, they're very um, theatrical. It's like the when he arrives at the house, there's a low angle of the house, uh, kind of a Dutch angle almost, and. I can still see it right now. It's almost like I'm sitting in a pl- in a theater and the curtains open up and there's a backdrop of this and the actors haven't come on stage yet and people are still opening their suites and shuffling around and you're just absorbing what's this about, where am I, etc. It's like a set in a theater, in a play and then the kitchen scene with the candles and the whole lot. So um, very the- a very theatrical cinematic uh, crossover. Cool, excellent. So that's The Fires screening at two o'clock this afternoon in the Town Hall Theatre. Screening after The Fires in the Town Hall Theatre is John Behan's Odyssey, which is a documentary from writer-director Donald Taylor Black, who also produced this documentary, and it's getting its world premiere. Now, Dave, you actually made a short documentary years ago on John Behan? Yes, uh, goodness me, 2006, uh, myself and uh, a friend of mine, producer Joyce Coran, we made a we made a short documentary about John. So we interviewed John and we we filmed and analyzed, you know, a couple of his sculptures, which are around Galway. There's one in in UIG and there's one just uh, opposite the the cathedral there as you walk across the bridge, the old bridge. Uh, And um, uh, and then he has the famine ship sculpture down at the bottom of uh, Croke Patrick uh, up in Mayo. And we shot all these uh, beauty shots of the sculptures and then we interviewed him in his workshop and saw him doing his work. I mean, literally like a five, six minute documentary short doc uh, with a view to making a feature doc. And we, we never managed to get off the ground back in the day. Uh, thank you, Recession. But uh, Don Taylor Black, uh, fair play to him. He's, he's here and he's telling this very important story about John Bean. And what, I mean, he's an amazing character, an amazing sculptor. He's one of the, you know, he's the, he's one of the best known sculptors in Ireland and he's still going he's still I think he's in his 80s and he's still ticking along I think I saw him the other day actually on a train I think some of the footage that I actually shot is going to be in this documentary uh, so I'm really looking forward to seeing it and uh, just to see what new work John has made because sculptors often go unnoticed they get these commissions from governments and from city councils and they we, we just take these things for granted that it's there and you know somebody's cleaning it or the birds are sitting on it or whatever but it's telling so much of a story and I didn't know much about John Behan before I made a documentary about him 15 years ago. And now every time I drive past his sculptor, I tell people about him. I say, look at that. Have a look at it. And I can tell them what it means and the stories that it tells. And he's, it's so powerful what this man can do. And uh, he's a Galway um, institution and he deserves to have his story told. I'm looking forward to it. Excellent. So the documentary follows him at work in Greece, but also uses archive footage, which, you know, might feature your footage, Dave, uh, as he tells... Uh, the story of his life and his work and so on. And 
What's really interesting about the selection of features at this year's FLA is the choices made has made around architecture and art and music. And I think it's so important, especially post-pandemic, how these things are noticed, appreciated and celebrated. Yeah, and they endure. I mean, think back to the, I mean, the pandemic almost feels like a long time ago, but it's not. But if you think back, whoever's listening to this, think back to the pandemic. What were you doing? You were eating, you were getting your groceries with your masks on and sanitizing your hands every 10 minutes. But you were probably watching movies, listening to music, uh, looking at art, consuming stories. And these are the things that saw you through when you were locked up in your house and you couldn't travel more than two kilometers. It's art and Netflix and TV and movies and DVDs and books and stories and artists. It's the work that artists did that kept our souls and our minds from collapsing when the world stopped. I mean, the farmers and the supermarkets kept us fed and we didn't have anything else really to do except consume art. And artists who don't get paid enough, who don't survive, I mean... I didn't see a lot of accountants doing much for us during the pandemic. No offense to accountants, but my point is that art was there for us and it sees us through. So we have to celebrate the people who spend their entire life making art. And I think while we're talking about art, we'll just skip ahead to the art of rebellion, which is screening tonight at half eight in screen three of the Palace Cinema. And I absolutely love this documentary about Lydia Emily, who is... She describes herself as muralist, but to me, she's just way more like, fair enough, she does murals on the gables of apartment blocks and so on. But, you know, she does loads of portrait stuff and she's just amazing at her art. But it's not just the story of an artist that carries you through this. It's what she's going through in life. Firstly, she's multiple cirrhosis. She's $65,000 in debt in medical bills. She's trying to form a, a relationship. She has a child who's autistic. I loved it. After the documentary, the first thing I did is I looked up her website and started scrolling through her art and, you know, saying one day I'd love to buy a piece of her work and have it on display at home. But yeah, I was really moved by this. Yeah, it was a really, a really well put together documentary um, with a the, with the heart in it that, you know, only, only true stories can bring that out. You know, it was, it was just, you know, you think things are going bad and then it's like, no, no, nothing is, nothing is as bad as you think it'll be. And then it's like, oh no, this, the next around the corner, it's even, there's even worse things ahead, but she still powers through and she's still, um, just strong and she's just a really, I think just a really decent person that you just, you're rooting for her the whole time. She's an inspirational woman. Yeah, definitely. And she's inspired others with her work and with her her tenacity and her ways of trying to, in the end, trying to fund her existence and other people. And she shared that knowledge with them and she went on to set up GoFundMes and then other people copied that GoFundMe. And I thought that was a very clever, she's a very clever person. And the documentary follows her over a number of years. So, I mean, you get to see her, her two daughters growing up and, you know, like one of them is fantastic artist, and just kind of, you know, what road would she go down? Would you go down the same road as her mother who was advising her not to become an artist? But yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful documentary. And it's very interesting to see her on that journey over so many years. And whatever she has inside her that pulls her through all those um, difficult and challenging moments. It's a, it's a 
really, really well worth watching. I mean, you know the way people say the old adage that, you know, you must suffer for your art. I mean, this woman has suffered and is suffering, uh, but her art is so rich because of it. And that presumably feeds her. That's the loop that feeds her. She suffers, she channels the pain, she produces wonderful art, and then that feeds her to survive the pain and do it all again. And I just love the fact that the joy that she extracts from her kids. And it just shows like what joy and happiness is. A lot of people would look at this woman's life and say, oh, she's got so much going on. And as you said, a lot of things pulling at her. And yes, they are. But she didn't see like the, the word indomitable. Like she didn't seem like any of this was getting her down. She's she can take it. You know, she's strong. The strength that this woman has is there in her art and the way she speaks and the way she's teaching kids, teaching her own kids, getting on with it. As you said, she's trying to forge a relationship because obviously previous relationships broke. So she keeps going around in the hamster wheel of life and nothing gets her down. And that is inspiring. So The Art of Rebellion gets its Irish premiere tonight at 8.30 in screen three of the Palace Cinema. Now, uh, let's go back in time a little bit to uh, what's on before that in the Palace at quarter past six. And that is One Bullet, which is another documentary. And again, I have to say this documentary really really moved me it's uh from oscar and bafta winning director carol dysinger and i was a little bit hesitant at the start as to whether i'd enjoy this because i'm not a huge fan of documentaries about war because it just it, it upsets me too much to see what goes on in the world and in afghanistan it was america's longest war 2005 to 2021 which is hard to believe that it went on that long and it opens up in i think it's kabul where a 15 year old 16 year old boy Mohammed fahim has been shot and there's accusations that it, the bullet the one bullet came from an american convoy and it's the americans carrying out the investigation and even at one stage you see them getting into their vehicles and they're all masked and like it looks like something from nearly like a Star Wars movie or something and uh, like how intimidating and scary it must be to see soldiers like that in your town. It turns out that Fahim is paralyzed. He will never walk again. And it's to try and get to the truth of what happened. And we later find out in the documentary that when he was shot, he was out celebrating the end of Ramadan. And... The documentary maker, Carol Dysinger, over a number of years, forms a really strong relationship with the mother of Fahim. And their relationship gets stronger and they get closer. And it's just a very, very move. It's not a, and it says it at the start, this is not a war documentary. This is really the story of two women living in opposite parts of the world who have so much in common and recognize so much of themselves in each other but i absolutely loved it it was a tough watch but i loved it tough watch is definitely what it what it was just you know afghanistan you can, like once you start pulling at the thread of everything from 2001 on um you know you're just down a rabbit hole of of watching movies and documentaries and and it, this this is really a personal story, and that's why it's it kind of hits home because everyone 
in the movie you can or in the documentary you can you can relate to them all they're like family members and their their brother has been injured and then and then we find out uh what happened after um but it's the also the the impersonality of the investigation into it that they just they let it just disappear they just you know it was investigated but it was like oh it just went into a black hole and nobody knows what the truth was and the family got stuck with all the medical bills they were told they weren't going to have to pay for and nobody ever was held accountable for what happened to the boy. And and just the ramifications of what one bullet did for an entire family and how decades later it's still extremely painful, yeah, in terms of emotionally what it has done to the family and everything. Yeah, but even what happened the country overall... Uh, reflected in their family and you know w- one member um getting more into his faith and um you know but but also very very interesting to see the take on the relationship that happened between the documentary maker and the mother of the of the boy um just to see it was it was really beautiful to see their friendship blossom and see them get close like that come from completely different worlds but everyone can find common ground yeah, I mean, obviously, the horrific atrocities that have been uh, imposed upon women in Afghanistan now, um, and you think about, you know, the Carol Carol Dissinger, Dissinger the, the the director of this, who is a professor, who is you know American. She's a highly educated Western woman who has the freedom of planet Earth and the education that would rival anyone on planet Earth, and then she forms a bond with this woman, who is in Afghanistan, who is completely suppressed. The first time they met, she didn't even recognize it because she had a burqa on and she's screaming outside the hospital to me see her son. And only two or five years later, she actually meets her and goes, oh, yeah, that was me. And we met and then they form a bond. So it just shows you that the human bond can overcome the oppression of one slightly misguided, shall we say. I'm not going to go into politicals here, but a misguided ideology and like the human bridge that can happen. And often when I see a documentary, uh, I often kind of think, how do the documentary makers stand there and film that? Because I personally, just my personal sensibilities, I'm a big softie. I would put the camera down and go over and help somebody and say, and I would break the fourth wall and say, you know, I got, I'm a human. I got to go and do this. And Carol did that here. She started off as a documentary maker. And by the end, she was part of the documentary because yeah. her human she's soul... She's bringing dishes out to the kitchen. Exactly. So. And she's helping them. And then when the mother, uh, when Bibi got COVID at the end, she needed oxygen. Carol was sending her money for oxygen. I mean, it's a sad state of affairs on planet Earth. We have to pay for oxygen. I remember uh, Mel Brooks did a sketch on this with the uh, space balls where the president of Earth opens a can of oxygen and it was a spoof back in the day and now it's like, here we are in 2023 or 2022, whatever it was, and people have to pay for oxygen to live, uh, which is another rabbit hole I'm not going to go down. But the point is that this documentary is um, a tough watch in terms of the emotional wrath that it will impose upon you, but uh, such a great human story and uh, so much sadness, but uh, some threads of humanity in there that will hold you together. Yeah. One bullet and how many bullets have been used in war and are being used as we speak right now and the ramifications that that is causing. It's a fantastic documentary. I really, really recommend you go and see One Bullet screening at quarter past six in the Palace Cinema. 
Also on in the Palace tonight is Kings, which I saw the premiere of back in 2007 at the Galway Film Flat with the writer-director Tom Collins and delighted to have known Tom and um, stay in touch with him as I followed his work over the coming years following Kings. But it's a big night tonight with Eve introducing her father's film, which was originally premiered 16 years ago here at the film flat it's based on a jimmy murphy play and for those who don't know kings actually was ireland's official entry in the 2008 academy awards for best foreign film and it's a fantastic story of kind of lost youth versus the reality of modern life and men in general i think i mean um and the stubbornness and so on it got nominated for 14 iftas at one five and Tom Collins himself got the Directors Guild of America New Finder Award from this movie, which is bilingual. It's in Irish and English. There are some tickets left for the screening tonight. I highly recommend you go and see Kings. Okay, the final thing then that we'll look at it taking place at half nine tonight in the Town Hall Theatre. It's the movie a lot of people are talking about and looking forward to. The Martini Shot getting its world premiere from writer-director Stephen Wallace, who also produced the movie, alongside Galway's very own Emma Owen of Baby Jane Productions, starring Matthew Modine, who's here doing the Actors Masterclass at the Galway Film Flat this year, which is really cool. It's an all-star cast. John Cleese, Stuart Townsend, Fiona Glasgow, Derek Jacobi. What can people expect tonight? What sort of movie is the Martini shot? It's a deconstruction of movies and reality. That is the most succinct way that I can explain what this movie is. If you are a, a, a cinephile who loves existentialism, you are going to enjoy this movie. Um, it is it is a deconstruction of cinema in term both both figuratively and literally. Uh, there's disjointed scenes in it that are obviously you know deliberate to you know uh, not just talk about the construction of cinema but also to actually deconstruct it right in front of your face. So um, apart from like a film that is badly made because, you know, by accident, because nobody was paying attention, this is quote unquote badly made on purpose to jump between one scene and another and perhaps disorientate the audience to deconstruct cinema on purpose. So um, the director here, Stephen Wallace, has obviously done this on purpose. So there's scenes where you're in a naturalistic scene. You uh, Matthew Modine is playing this character which is a mixture between an existential being uh, slash a director a film director or is he god or what is he we don't exactly know and but he's this omnipotent type thing so he's in a he's in a realistic scene and then he'll say stop and the person he's talking to will stop almost like it's the matrix you know he'll stop and then he'll say he'll call in his his uh uh, um, assistant, assistant, well, yeah. assistant director and say I want to replace this person yeah. <laughs> so it's an, it's an allegory about cinema uh, but it's very surreal uh, it's disjointed uh, there's a few moments of levity in it um, some amazing performances again it's surreal it's disjointed on purpose because of its surreal nature and I think I, I have a funny feeling that a lot of the actors had a lot of fun making this because y- you know you're, you're coloring, coloring outside the lines of traditional narrative uh, to put it mildly. Yeah, I don't think it's the, the normal film, Lisa, that people would see in a mainstream cinema. You have to be prepared for going in and seeing something completely different with the martini yeah, shot. Definitely. You have to go in without expectation because it, it's, it, it, it grabs you. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a sweet 
kind of a movie if you think of it in terms of a man is doing an introspective on his life and life in general and he is he is he god or is he a director or is he you don't you don't know what's going on with him but it's it's well acted it's and the, the thing i really liked about it is that everybody that's in the movie like they just they just pop up you're like oh oh there's john cleese oh there's Dirk Jacobi. Oh, and oh, Stuart Townsend. Where's he been? You know, it's that kind of a movie. It's it's kind of like a guest starring, you know, who's next. Yeah, I don't know how Emma wrangled to get all these amazing actors in the movie, but kudos to her. Well done. It certainly is an interesting movie. Excellent. So a lot of people talking about it, a lot of people looking forward to it. So let us know what you think of the martini shot if you do go and see it tonight. We're around all week. You'll catch us with a microphone and headset. Uh, so don't be shy. Come up and say hello to us. Lisa and Dave, thank you for being here today. Go off, have fun, enjoy today's screenings, and I look forward to hearing all about them again tomorrow. Yeah, got to run. I got screenings to go to. Bye. (laughs) 